In response to requests that I've received from many people, I am offering this uh, summary of the talk that I gave this past Shabbos after Kiddush in the conference room, this Shabbos Parshas of Ayishlach, um, December 2nd, and I was speaking about the crisis that we are facing here, and actually world Jewry is facing right now, the likes of which, um, the depths of which, uh, we haven't really faced as far as I can tell in my lifetime, really since the Holocaust. Um, and so I was trying to delineate and describe an appropriate response to the crisis, a spiritual response uh, that would be appropriate to the level of the crisis that we're, that we're feeling. First of all, in advance, I apologize. I'm fighting a, a lingering cough, <coughs> and I can't, can't seem to beat it. I'm feeling fine, but uh, the cough will be there throughout the talk. The uh, uh, let's start with Hanukkah, which um, this talk can also be an appropriate introduction to Hanukkah. Uh, in Hasidic sources, it is said that the light of Hanukkah is really tapping into the light of Mashiach. When we bring in the light of the menorah, we're actually tapping into the light of Mashiach, the ultimate redemption. Hanukkah, of course, is a celebration of redemption, and we're tapping into the light of Mashiach. And, say these sources, if that's so, that means that the uh, Jewish home, which has the menorah in it, is, is kindling the menorah, so to speak, of the Beis HaMikdash. And that means that the Jewish home itself has become the Beis HaMikdash, and that means that the individuals lighting the menorah are like the Kohen in the Beis HaMikdash. There's a tremendous amount of holiness associated with, with, uh, with Hanukkah in Hasidic sources. It's... Uh, tragic almost that Hanukkah has become so trivialized uh, even in the minds and hearts of people who observe Hanukkah uh, carefully um, uh, where it's been reduced just to lighting the menorah and maybe some kind of uh, gift giving um, when Hanukkah really has a tremendous amount of profundity to it and as uh, my Rebbe Rabbi Shmuel Yaakov Weinberg taught us the two rabbinic Yamin Tovim Hanukkah and Purim are designed by Chazal, by the sages, to provide us the tools to be able to endure and um, manage through the exile that we're in. They're not commemorative as much as they are really designed to provide us with something. By observing Hanukkah properly, we actually absorb spiritual strength that helps us deal with the challenges that Hanukkah itself um, uh, is based on. So, um, the, the, uh, the, there, I quoted a source, I quoted a source, actually, Rabbi Moshe Wolfson Sefer, Amunasi Techa. Uh, Rabbi Moshe Wolfson is a, is a mashkiach in Yeshiva's Torah Vadas, and he is very well versed in Hasidic sources as well as, uh, let's say, Litvish's sources, and he quotes um, something of a fairly well-known uh, attribution to the Apter Rebbe, the, the Rebbe of Apt, of Ram Yeshua Heschel, also known as <coughs> the Ohev Yisrael, which means the, uh, is named after the uh, Sefer that he wrote on the weekly Parsha, which is filled with um, his boundless love for the Jewish people. So the Apter Rav was quoted as saying uh, that he has the power to bring Mashiach 
but he's not doing that because there are souls uh, in the Jewish people that need to be redeemed. And if we brought Mashiach too soon, we'd be completing Jewish history without them. And we need to bring these souls along. Um, th this is a long-standing Hasidic debate about whether we want to bring Mashiach sooner and abandon some souls that in a longer process would be rejoined to the Jewish people, or do we want to wait and thereby cause more suffering of exile, but in the process collect more uh, Jewish souls that are lost that would be brought along uh, to the conclusion of Jewish history. So the Avdar Rav said, I can bring Mashiach now, but when, I'm not going to do it because there are souls that are, that are waiting to be redeemed. Sitting at the table was a chassid, a rav, and the rav said to him, I don't understand, the Shekhinah, the divine presence, is suffering, so to speak, in exile. How can we tolerate that? We have to bring that right away. And the Abdul Rav's response was, you're one of those souls that we're waiting to save. Which means, it means a lot of things, but what it means is that uh, we have no idea who and how and what. But we do know that uh, included in the redemption of Mashiach is going to be really the, uh, the collection of neshamas of the Jewish people coming to the finish line, so to speak, of Jewish history. And as we go through the travails in advance of the coming of Mashiach, we are going to be gathering up a lot of souls. So I shared with everybody that I, as the rabbi of this community, have been really in, in personal agony uh, since October 7th. Everybody's been in agony, but uh, the agony that I lay claim to is that it's my responsibility to provide spiritual direction and appropriate spiritual response to this crisis. And let's understand this crisis, I maintain, is worse than we think. Um, and I'm, my goal is not to depress. My goal is to wake us up. We've got to realize that we're dealing with something unprecedented here, let alone uh, the brutality and the fierceness and the quantity of pain and murder and horror that was inflicted on Jews in the land of Israel on October 7th. That's part of it, but it's also the widespread psychological trauma and shock to the entire people of Israel. And it's also the the fact that 360,000 soldiers are called up and sent to the front lines and, and parents and husband and wives and children are waiting uh, with, with bated breath, waiting to see what's going to happen with their loved one who uh, is now in the front and who's involved in all kinds of horrible fighting, urban warfare, uh, never mind what it's doing to the economy. Never mind the fact that even if we dealt with Hamas, which we don't even really, really deep down believe that we can actually eradicate Hamas, no matter what we do, Hamas will not be eradicated, and we really know that. And we also know that the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip who are not Hamas will become Hamas. We know that too. Um, we just don't want to say it. And we also know that if we did eradicate Hamas, we still have Hezbollah up in the north with 150,000 guided missiles aimed at Israel, at all parts of Israel. <clears throat> so we, we got a major problem. And then we have this shocking uh, manifestation of worldwide of anti-Semitism and in, in America on the college campuses and the abandonment by <clears throat> so many movements of the Jews and the fact that so many Jews in America are feeling 
bereft and and disconnected and alone and hated um, and uh, does, doesn't even make sense after October 7th for, for, <coughs> for anti-Semitism to show up this way. So the situation is bleak. And personally, God forbid, nobody extra should have to suffer. I believe we're at the beginning of this bleak period of time in our history and that things are not going to get better anytime soon. Again, the goal is not to depress. <clears throat> the goal is to, for us to realize something is going on here. From a Jewish point of view, we are trained and taught by our own Torah that when we face catastrophic events like this, we have to wake up and we're supposed to repent and we're supposed to think and we're supposed to analyze. So I shared with everybody that uh, I'm haunted by something that had major impact on me in 1990, during the first Persian Gulf War, when there were all kinds of rumors, so to speak, floating around <coughs> that based on um, Midrashim that said that before Mashiach comes, the entire world will be united in a war against Persia. <coughs> and there was a sense that there, there, there was an unusual coalition of nations, Poland, the United States, Australia, all these nations all coming together to fight the enemy of the Jewish people, which was Iraq, while Iraq said that their only enemy was the Jewish people, was Israel. And Israel was the only nation that wasn't allowed to participate in the coalition. They had to sit there and let everybody else fight while the missiles were aimed only at Israel. <coughs> at any rate, at that time, I was sharing my enthusiasm with Rabbi Weinberg, and Rabbi Weinberg dampened my enthusiasm by saying that tshuva uh, is not necessarily what we think it is. Most people end up, when they do tshuva, quote-unquote, what they do is more of what they were doing. And that's not a bad thing. Davening more is not a bad thing. Learning more is not a bad thing. Uh, taking our Judaism more seriously is not a bad thing. But that's not tshuva. Rabbi Weinberg pointed out, based on his analysis of Megillah Esther, that in order to do tshuva, you have to be willing to jettison a belief that you embraced before that you thought was correct, and now you're giving up on it. You're actually letting go of it. And in order to do tshuva, you have to be willing to embrace something that before you had rejected. And that is um, a heavy dose, a heavy, heavy burden. Like, what are we not facing right now that we need to face? What do we need to embrace that we haven't embraced? That, to me, would be the question. And there are many, many possible answers. And as I said, and as obvious, I'm not a prophet, and I'm not the son of a prophet, and I don't have Holy Spirit, and I am just somebody looking around and thinking. And what I maintain is that we, as a Jewish people, have settled into a basic premise that we don't even examine anymore. And that is that there are Jews who are observant and there are Jews who are not observant. And the Jews who are observant will continue to be observant as much as they can, even though we struggle and we're not so secure in our observance. And we have this... A dark little secret that many of us are not so committed and we're not always so sure our children are committed but we uh, observant people are going to be observant and not observant people more or less are going to be non-observant and that's just the way it is and uh, it that we don't feel responsible at all to the rest of the Jewish world it's just they're the way they are and we're the way we are and we can barely keep ourselves going and we can't uh, we can't really worry about the 90% of the Jewish 
world that is not aware of a covenant with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and our responsibility to him. And so when the rave that occurred on a Friday night with hundreds and hundreds of Jews uh, uh, was attacked by the terrorists, it was uh, in front of the entire world, it was clearly understood that there are hundreds, thousands of Israelis who routinely do not observe Shabbos, and the whole world noticed this. That wasn't the issue then. Nobody paid attention to that directly, but that's exactly the point. There's, it, did, it, did it bother us that there was this kind of a chil of Hashem? And so I suggest that the thing that we've got to embrace, that we have not embraced, is a sense of responsibility to others, a sense of being bothered, that if I'm in a relationship with God and I love his Torah, and I believe in observance, and I believe in Shabbos, and I believe in Kashros, then why am I content not to share it? And why am I so sure that if I did share it in any way, that it would be rejected? And that same context governs the 90% of people who are not observant, which is that they don't even think of orthodoxy as a place to go when there is an awakening. And right now there is an awakening. And the awakening uh, manifests itself in different ways, but uh, people are wondering now, why am I Jewish? And there are many people who are saying, for the first time in my life, I'm asking myself what it means to be Jewish. And I'm hearing anecdotally from people who are clearly, physically, observably observant, uh, that people, uh, Jews come over to them and uh, actually want to make a connection. Uh, and there is an awakening even to do to doing certain kinds of mitzvahs or to putting on tefillin and that kind of a thing. Uh, so the anti-Semitism that is rampant is also waking, uh, waking up a lot of Jews. So here we have an opportunity. The point is that this crisis has created an opportunity, and we need to take advantage of that, that opportunity. I went on to suggest that uh, just as the weekly Torah portions seem to carry a theme or seem to carry a message that's very relevant to the crisis we're going through now, so too the coming of Hanukkah uh, carries a message. Uh, because Hanukkah, as I mentioned earlier, is really that, uh, in, in the eyes of many, many, many Jews, most Jews, it's really a Jewish Christmas. And, of course, that's it's the, the antithesis of that. Hanukkah is a holiday that celebrates the victory of the Jews who said we are not going to assimilate and we're not going to become Hellenized Jews. And so it's ironic that Hanukkah has become that kind of a celebration in which we kind of meld with the non-Jewish spirit of the season. And I'm suggesting that this year there's going to be a different kind of a Hanukkah in the minds of uh, people who are not affiliated because they cannot count on their non-Jewish friends to be so welcoming, to join together in Hanukkah Christmas parties and so on and so forth. There's a self-consciousness, which I think is kind of healthy, uh, that Jews are experiencing. And this Hanukkah can actually be a time when Jews can celebrate their uniqueness and actually come together. And so number one is I'm encouraging people, share your Hanukkah with other people, not in a religious way necessarily. Just reach out to people who... uh, you don't think of as uh, uh, considerably interested in religion, but just reach out to them and say, you know, we Jews have to stick together. Let's 
let's be together. Would you like to join me for uh, lactis? Would you like to join me for lighting the menorah? Um, or I just want to wish you a happy Hanukkah because I know it's hard to be Jewish out there. Um, that's number one. Number two, in short order, you're going to be receiving information about an evening, uh, probably December 20th, that we're creating, uh, which would make it possible for you to invite people in your life who otherwise you might not think of including to come together uh, this is well after Hanukkah, on December 20th, to come together and have a night of being Jewish together. Uh, we'll discuss why the Jews, why is it that anti-Semitism uh, is a constant in, in, the, in the world. And it'll be an opportunity for uh, us in this community to reach out in a non-patronizing way, in a friendly way, to other Jews and to break the mold, so to speak, to break the paradigm, to break the context that seems to prevail, which is that our world and the world of those who are not affiliated or not connected to observance should never meet, that somehow they can't meet. We have a lot to offer. And um, not only that, it's not just about them, it's about us. It's actually about our own spiritual awakening. If we can actually take responsibility as servants of God, to share in an appropriate way with other people the Judaism that we love and cherish and that we sacrifice so much for, we will be transformed as a community. Uh, even if nobody even accepts our invitation, if we simply offer the invitation and make sure to transmit the openness that we have to others, it will be transformative for our community. I wish each and every one of you a happy Hanukkah, and I wish you a Hanukkah in which we ha have our own spiritual awakening, that we take pride in being Jewish in spite of the fact that the world seems to be enjoying despising us, and uh, a Hanukkah in which we contemplate the holiness that we are privileged to live in and find some way of opening our homes and our communities to others who otherwise would not even think about us as a place to go at a time of crisis.